Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Greetings, Bobo. And how are you this afternoon? Greetings, sir. And I'm doing A-OK. A-OK is not so bad. You looking forward to today's episode a little bit? Yeah, what are we doing? We're doing a Q&A, our monthly q and I know that this is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, because I get, I get asked so many times the same things over and over, so it's good to just <laughs> kind of throw it in where more than one person gets the answer. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it out there for everybody. You know, I mean, how many times have you answered things like, have you found them yet? Oh, I don't answer that. No, no. I kind of throw it back at them because it's it's not a, it's not a particularly good and, you know, thoughtful question in a lot of ways. Um, it's just kind of a, a knee-jerk reaction sort of question. So when you throw it back at them, so well, what do you mean by find? And then it kind of takes them back a little bit and say, well, I don't, I don't know. Seen one? So yes. Photographed one? No. So we haven't found one. If I guess found means photographed. That's how I say. Do you mean do you, have I filmed one yet? Nine. We find them all the time. Well, not all the time, but a, kind of a lot on the show. Gosh, we we. I mean, you're batting over fifty percent. Were we? I think so. Yeah, I think like if, between like if you go by episode, not each night, but if you go by episode, I, I think we're bat, batting way over fifty percent. Probably like more like sixty. About oh, no. hearing sounds that we legitimately think are Sasquatches. Oh, that we weren't unsure of that we were. Pretty sure that it was Squatch. Yeah, like one of us on the team. Not bad. That's pretty good. It is pretty good, right? I mean, 50, 60% is Bigfoot. I mean, you're the one who told me that if you're batting over 50%, you're in the Hall of Fame for baseball. Right. God, finding Sasquatches is way harder than baseball, I would imagine. Oh, for sure. But And you don't need all the protective gear. (laughs) It's not going to be much just a helmet and a cup. Yeah, it was pretty much it. Yeah, we all just wore a cup and, you know... Well, not all of us. You're right. I didn't. Me neither. Anyway. <laughs> right, well, it's back to Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, back to Bigfoot. All right. Well, um, I, I guess I'll kick it off with the first question. And the first question today comes from Kirk Matley. I sometimes wonder if Bigfoot tree knocks are them trying to imitate the sound of a gun in order to scare us away, as surely a gun shot at them may scare them. Thoughts? Um, I'm positive. Well, I'm almost certain that they do that, that they will imitate a gunshot because i've i heard one uh up near bluff creek uh do a like a machine gun pattern like hand clapping bam 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 bam, bam. and like, it sounded like gunshots i've uh, i don't know they're in, I, I think that's kind of an unintended consequence of what they do anyways but i i think they i think they uh they're they were making those sounds before they ever heard gunshots you know, like 150 years ago 200 years ago whatever it was so I think it's just kind of like a natural, like a unintended consequence. Maybe that they, over time, realized it had an effect, possibly. Maybe I, I don't think they put that together. You know, I, I, don't, I personally don't think that they put the, their sounds together with what they've seen because some Sasquatches have never seen a gun before. Um, some Sasquatches have never seen a person shoot a gun. Certainly, many Sasquatches have, especially the ones that live closer to where humans live. But the ones way out in the middle of nowhere, they're still knocking. And I, I don't think that they're doing it for that reason. But I also don't think that they make the connection in that sort of way. Um, and if they did, well, then one time I was camping at Bluff Creek and I heard knocks over about 45 minutes. Just, it started off as one knock every few minutes or something. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And um, at the end of it all, it culminated into this bam, bam, 
And it wasn't a gun. It wasn't firecrackers. It wasn't anything. This was coming from way off trail in the thick of it. And if if we were to jump to the conclusion that they were doing that to purposefully scare us by imitating gun noises, then what the, the we can use that same logic to say they were doing what I heard that one night with a crazy series of amazing... Uh, they were clearly trying to imitate Buddy Rich and show us their affinity <laughs> for jazz drumming. It's the same logic. It, it really is the same logic there, kind of, you know, because certainly some Sasquatches have heard jazz drum solos. In the same sort of way, some Sasquatches have looked through windows and seen televisions, and other ones have seen people shoot guns and whatnot. And I, I just think that's too far, I think, too I think far abroad. I think it's rare to find an adult Sasquatch that hasn't seen someone fire a gun. It's possible. It's very possible that that would be rare for them to, no. to have not seen a Sasquatch. If they live like maybe in Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah. And or what about the ones in the, in the heart of uh, um, Olympic National Park? Oh, I think they get around enough where they get around people. See, I'm leaning the other direction on that one too, man. The evidence is pointing to them being in the same areas all year round. So seasonality doesn't really matter. The same general areas year after year after year. I don't think they wander that far. That's at least my data, what, what I've been coming up with in my own research areas and based on some historical data like the Paul Freeman map. I know, that, I know they're not like, you know, walking – a thousand miles and whatever like they're not like humans how humans spread out and would walk you know hundreds of miles hundreds of miles i don't think they really do that but i think they get around pretty good like, i don't at least, know this is at least when they're like looking for their own range or looking yeah, for i imagine they're spot. outliers you know like they always call them rogue males who have been kicked out of their family group or whatever and start trying to find their own place um, that, and that's entirely possible. It's also possible, unlikely, but possible that different groups of Sasquatches have different social structures. I don't think that's likely at all, but I guess it's possible because anything's possible at this point because we have so little data. Right. I think that's, that's the kind of, we have very little confirmed data. Yeah. Kind of a small sampling. Um, when everybody's collecting sighting reports and we don't, we can't tell them apart. We, you know, was that Sasquatch the same one as this other Sasquatch seen in the same area? That's why footprints come into it because you can start differentiating individuals through footprints, but right. not really through sighting reports unless you have a place like we have here at the North American Bigfoot Center nearby. Uh, we call it Easter Island for all of our um, museum members out there. They're very familiar with our area that we nicknamed Easter Island. Because uh, there are at least three individuals there based on sighting reports because this is a special situation where each one of those three individuals is a different color. There is a reddish one, a blackish one, and a big white one apparently, like a coyote or a light-colored white one sort of thing there. There might be two or three more. One of the researchers that uh, turned us on to this place thinks there's four or five different individuals. Um, but you can't tell that by the color is a problem. So we know there's at least three though. And it's pretty interesting. That's why this place is so special. It sounds special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whenever we get a report, we say, what color was it? And, you know, a lot of times I can't tell, like, it was dark or it was kind of just dark colored. Well, okay, well, we know one is kind of a, definitely has a reddish tinge to it. Um, I'm not sure it's so strongly colored at, like, an Irish setter, like we often hear, like that color. Right. Um, but definitely a brownish red. And the other one is uh, very, very dark brown or black at this point and then that big white one too so all right, I'll, all right i'll go to the next one here we got lisa lo siento message what would be your favorite movie about bigfoot besides boggy creek well that is my favorite i wish the majority of movies were not horror themed me too do you think there will ever be another uh, movie made about patterson and gimlin i'm shocked there has not been a roger and bob movie made yet my favorite movie besides boggy creek would probably be uh, Willow Creek, the movie Willow Creek, and then, um, yeah, I, I hope to see a Roger and Bob movie that's not lame. That's a good one. It would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little surprised there hasn't been some sort of fictionalization of the PG film and what happened there. That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool to do, to see something like that, you know. It's kind of like that Sasquatch movie uh, from the 70s, you know, where the, mount, the, the mountain lion jumps on the guy and the horse and stuff. Right. Some sort of fictionalized thing like that. I'm a little surprised. Um, but, see, my favorite movie besides Boggy Creek, <sighs> I'm not a big fan of a lot of those movies, honestly. And Boggy Creek is certainly a very, very special movie to all of us, I think. Um, I'm probably with you about Willow Creek. 
You know, I, I really enjoyed Willow Creek because it was so different. Um, because uh, Lisa's next sentence is like, I wish the majority of these movies weren't horror themed. Yeah, yeah, me too. And kind of it's a tired trope, honestly. Um, I do like exists. I thought that was all right. You know, it was okay. Um, for especially for like a horror themed Bigfoot movie, but uh, I I like Bobcat's take on it, and it's not just because I like the guy and he's a friend or whatever, but I like his take on the found footage thing. There basically were no Bigfoots in it at all. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite. And of course, if you do watch it, Bryce Johnson, who's currently on Expedition Bigfoot, um, like he's he's the actor in that movie. I, he also got a spot on the new reboot of Magnum PI, but I haven't seen that one yet. Huh. I, I'm hoping he has a mustache in it, but I don't know if he does or not. Yeah, Classic. he's a very talented actor. He's been in a lot of different, uh, lot of different movies. Uh, I think he's in. Was he in World's Greatest Dad? I have no uh, idea. Yeah, he's in quite a few movies. Real nice guy. Real nice guy. You know, what, uh, you would also maybe I liked a lot. Uh, Surprise, because it was so low budge, but it was I thought it was really good. Was that it was based on the Copolis Beach incident back in like the early '70s in Washington, where that family the. Oh, the cowman of Copolis Beach? Yeah, yeah, that one. Copolis, I'm not sure how to say it, all the Pacific Northwest. I think, I think you said it right. I think you said it right. Yeah, well, you know, that's how, uh, if you're not from the Pacific Northwest, that's like the litmus test for for all everybody is like, you know, is it Couch Street in downtown Portland? No, it's Cooch. It's spelled Couch, but it looks in, right. in Mesa. That, that way they can they can cast sidelong glances at you as being an out-of-towner. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't know there was a movie based on the cowman of Copolis Beach. Yeah, it's good. Um, Mike, Mike Hunter, Mike Hunter, we'd seen it in Ohio. He gave it to me a couple of, I didn't have a DVD player for years. And he gave me, like twice gave me a DVD of it. And I was like, uh, and about five years later, I finally had a chance to watch it. I popped it in. I was like, that's a good movie. Bubba, I know that she didn't ask this, but do you have a favorite documentary? Ooh, that takes a little more thought. There's a lot. There's a lot of them to choose from, and a lot of them are empty, and they're just talking heads at the end of the day. But there are a couple of them are really good. I'm trying. To, I know there's some really good ones. Um, well, you go first. Well, my, my go-to is Legend Meets Science, of course, because it has the Freeman footage, it has the Memorial Day footage, it has the Patterson Gimlin footage, all in the special features of the DVD, and it's fantastic. But you know, but a lot of that is pretty outdated now. I think it was made back in 2008 or something like that. No, I don't remember. not 2000. Was it 2000? How long ago? Yeah, 2000, no 2001. Kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Well, but I, I, that's a great documentary, and I'm really looking forward to Doug Hychek's uh, Legend Meet Science 2, of course. But you know which one really has a special place in my heart that doesn't get a lot of love for – it doesn't get a lot of hate. It just it doesn't get a lot of attention at all is Sasquatch Odyssey. Yeah, that was my top three. I love Sasquatch Odyssey because what other documentary can you watch and have all four of the horsemen in it? You know, and their grumpy old man stage, talking about what they're doing and whatever. I, I just it's just a lovely documentary where we get to know a little bit about uh, each of them and kind of get to meet them a little bit on on camera. And maybe part of that is uh, me lamenting that never that I never had the chance to meet Renee DeHinden or Doctor Krantz, um, and that's as close as I'm ever going to get. But I just there's this I just love that documentary so. God, I wish I would knew that question in advance. I would have put a little more time and thought in it because there's some really good ones. Oh, there are really good ones. I don't like favorites. I don't like uh, saying this is my favorite because that makes everything else not sound as good. What are some of your favorites, Bobes? Do you have any off the top of your head you would like to tell us about? Uh, Monsters and Mysteries. Okay. Classics, right? Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of a newer one. This is kind of a cop-out, but go to Sasquatch Archives on YouTube, and there's all kinds of great stuff on there. Oh, yeah, and that's primary source stuff, too. It's not like yeah. uh, encased into a, um, a format of a documentary. It's just straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably the best source for all that historical stuff right now. Really cool stuff. But we digress. Why don't we get back into our listeners' questions here? Yeah. Um, next question is from Glenn Sparham. Are there any "quote unquote" government or official cover-up stories you think are legitimate, or are they all just paranoia? I think they're mostly paranoia. I mean, I'm not a fan of conspiracies. I think the conspiracy theorists are. Um, I mean, sure, surely some conspiracies are real. Every once in a while, you run across something, right? But I think most of them put far more faith in the government than I do. 
that they can hold it together and keep secrets and, and they have a plan. And I love the ones that like, oh, they're tracking me. They're listening to my conversations. Like, who do you right. think you are that you're so important? They care about you. All they want is your dollar. You know, they're just trying to sell you things. That's that's what the government conspiracy is. But like, I, not a month goes by in the museum that I that somebody doesn't come through the door and tell us about you know the black helicopters on Mount St. Helens after right. the eruption and the yeah. I hear that one all the time, all the time. They recovered all these. It's like you're not going to recover all these bodies from a blast zone. Everything's covered up. Yeah, yeah, and, or you know, evaporated, or, or you know, torn from, apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, like, a, so the meat is cooked off of it, and you may have a bone left or something, you know. And and so, how are you going to identify that bone? It's going to be one of the ten thousand elk bones they found too, you know. I can say this: the ones I've looked into personally have all been BS. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any conspiracies. I mean, the the conspiracy is that they probably know they're real and they're not doing anything about it. Well, I think yeah, it's not like an overarching like top down. You'll be fired if this. I think it's we've talked about it before. It's like mm-hmm. it's kind of like a just a you're going to get screwed with at work if you report this. Yeah, you know, I had some guy in the shop just this past week actually, and uh, and he was saying he was he was saying like, what do you think about the them doing? You know, he said some conspiracy. You know, just one of these ones that we hear all the time. And I said, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they know about them. I said, this this guy or that guy may or may not know they're real. And, you know, they, they probably know about them, but they probably don't care because it's a money thing. And we've talked about that probably half a dozen times on the show, at the show in one, one time or another. And, and this guy started going off, see that like that, how could they be, how could they be breaking the law and, and doing illegal things like not telling us? And, and I'm thinking, huh. and I had to calm the guy down. It's like, no, there, it's not illegal to not tell us about an animal that no one thinks is real. You know, that, that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, he was all bent out of shape thinking that that was illegal. <laughs> like, like, how is that illegal? They should tell us if they, if they think, I don't know, man. These people are so bent out of shape and just so ready to believe anything at this point I, in our history. I think history. it's illegal if they have the info and withhold it if you request it. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I guess, but, you know. You know. If, if there's documents about it. super secret or something. Yeah. Even I think they got to redact. They got to give you something that's redacted. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you saw what happened when the, there was a FOIA request for the Sasquatch stuff this past year. And Peter Burns' deer hair that he submitted back in the day came and said, yeah, yeah, the FBI tested this. Yeah, it's deer hair. Right. Or whatever. But, you know, you can look at it and tell you it's deer hair. Right. That, that, wasn't, a, that wasn't a tough one. But it was back in the 70s, you know. So, different technologies and stuff now. So, Right. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. We got another question from Dan Witt. Listening to episode 149 as we speak, it's hilarious that Cliff went outside to pee off his porch. What? Everyone does that. It begs well, the question. Well, if you live in an appropriate place, maybe, you know. I do it in an inappropriate. I live in an inappropriate place to do it. I still do it. Everyone does it. <laughs> it begs the question, though: Does Cliff have a bathroom in his house? Why was it off limits, or does he just choose outside over inside? I won't be able to sleep unless I know this. Cheers. I was going to say it's got to be a European, like a Brit or something. And yep, cheers. It's got to be cheers. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. Um, no, I have no bathroom in my house. Well, actually, Melissa, I do have a bathroom. I've got several, actually. But I thought, I thought Melissa peed outside, too. No, no. That's why we got a bathroom put in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see the world is my toilet. That's the way I, I see it. When I'm driving around, I said, oh, I could poop over there. I'm always looking for good places to hide. I mean, why pee inside when you're going to like get the spray and backsplash and stuff? Or you just go outside and not worry about it? Yeah, yeah. Actually, of course, yes, I have bathrooms in my home. Of course I do. Um, but, you know, like... Why use it, man? Like at the same time, because I could go out back 
in like at you know eleven o'clock at night. I'm, it's not like I'm, okay, uh, you know, my, my bedroom is on one side of the house and and the porch is way on the other. I'm not going to get out of bed at three in the morning and go wander down the hall through the kitchen and out the sliding door across the porch and go pee on the grass. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm not you know I am sophisticated. But if I'm hanging out like in the living room or something like that, why not go outside? It's because you know, this, they're not wasting any water. It's 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 lovely outside. I might hear us. I might hear some noises that you can't hear inside. Exactly. I love it out back. I love my property. Um, yeah, it's like you know, if I was mowing the grass, I wouldn't stop the mower to go inside the house to pee. I think that's weird. But I, what do you think, Bobo? No, I, I think that's a weird question. That's okay. That, we're, we're, you know, we might be a weird. We, you and I, might be too weird to even recognize that. That's a perfectly normal question. Shoot, I'll pee on the porch if it's raining out and I want to go out and get wet. I'll just pee right from the door on the porch and let it wash off. You know, I've been to your house. I'm not sure that I would do that often because you live like in a little neighborhood, you know, with like yeah. neighbors and stuff like that. Well, not the front you... door. I do it off the back door. Oh, okay. I was going to say, front door is not a good place for that because. Only at night off the front door. Yeah. And of course, you know, <laughs> my other house, I would go in the backyard and find some place to pee if the, because we only had one bathroom in that, in that home before, before we moved out of the country. Well, you know, to, in my defense, not that I need to defend this, I think it's a perfectly natural thing, but uh, Dan, um, you can't see the neighbors from my house. You know, I live in a very, very cool place up against a hill. Uh, my, my closest neighbor is, is probably almost a quarter or probably about a quarter mile away or more. Maybe yeah. more than that, actually, thinking about it. You've been to my house, Bobo. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Quarter mile is pretty accurate. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, so there's nobody around, and there's quite a few trees between me and everybody else anyway. So it's not like it's indecent or anything. Oh, but, no. Uh, yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're not going to get – no one's going to see you peeing in your backyard. No, no. I'd like to think I'm a decent person. <laughs> you know, so. Okay, the next question is from Paul King. During the filming of Finding Bigfoot, were there any places in the world you wanted to go but never did? For me, I, I was always pushing for New Zealand, but they said it was too close to Australia. And then when I did more research, I kind of started discounting the Moe Howe just due to um, like the land bridges that probably would have been necessary. And it was uh, too far from Australia. There's too much deep water in between. So I don't know if that was worth it. Then we were talking about going to Finland and on the Russian border up there in the north and i was super psyched on that but that didn't work out either but i mean there's a lot of places i wanted to go yeah i wish we would have gone to africa Whew. that's the one continent that we didn't really get a chance to go to that we actually had a shot at getting something i mean obviously we're not going to go to antarctica we're not looking for penguins um there's nothing there sasquatches have not been seen on every continent since and that's because antarctica is a continent right but um but Africa, man, especially after uh, Gareth Patterson and went out and what found out about him. Of course, we didn't know about Gareth Patterson on the show. No. And if I'm reading the question verbatim, you know, like rules is written, so to speak, um, during the filming of Finding Bigfoot, were there places in the world that you wanted to go? Um, looking back, I'd say Africa. I'd say South Africa in particular, um, just because we could uh, stand on Gareth Patterson's shoulder shoulders. And, um, and but he won't take a film crew anyways. Yeah, yeah. But man, can you imagine um, night investigations in Africa? Oh my God. For new uh, listeners, it's around somewhere around episode 60. There's Gareth Patterson from South Africa. He's a uh, wildlife expert, internationally known conservationist. And he rediscovered the southernmost uh, elephants in Africa, down in South Africa. No one knew they were there. And while doing this research, he discovered the uh, what the natives called the Otang, which is basically an African Bigfoot. Yeah, he was looking for elephants. And uh, I think over maybe, a what is he, eight or ten year period, you might remember this better than me, but he saw him half a dozen times. Yeah, so uh, South Africa would be the place for me that, that I would like to go. Oh, my turn. Let's see. Christina Fleming. Hello, Clobo. Do either of you know of any squatch activity around zoos where exotic animals are? I've always thought they must be around there. Um, I've heard... I've heard that they answer back at the Big Bear Zoo in Southern California. I've heard that, that people have heard them uh, when the animals there make noises, they've responded. But I think those are just native North American animals anyways. But anyways, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually gone squatching around these. There's these uh, tiger big cat preserves in Southern Oregon in hot squatch areas. And I've spent a few nights around there several times um, doing calls and listening and Hearing those like lions and tigers and stuff roar at night is and jaguars is pretty. Aw it, it is awesome, but I, I never heard anything I thought was a squatch. 
I was bigfooting in um, Florida once, years and years and years ago, with uh, MoneyMaker and Wally and a handful of other people. You know, the, the Floridian BFRO people, and um, we we kept hearing this roar, this crazy roar, and I go, "Oh my God, what is that?" It didn't sound like a bigfoot, and it turns out it was an African lion. I guess some folks out there in rural Florida had a couple lions in cages as pets or something. I don't, I don't think it was a wildlife park of any sort, which is what Christine is asking about. But um, it was a crazy noise. I didn't think it was a bigfoot. And I think this is around Hillsborough State Park in Central Florida somewhere, if I remember right. I think that's where we were. Um, but, you know, I did get a report from Southern California, from San Diego County, which sounds crazy if you're unless you're familiar with the area. But there's a lot of rural there's a lot of rural space out in San Diego County, especially East County. And that's where this is from. Um, not too far away from, you know, I think it was San Diego Wild Animal Park, I think it was called. Um, people were seeing a bipedal gorilla in the area. And there's a little bit more to it. I, I called Adam Davies because Adam was living down there at the time. I think it was an older report, but he got in contact with the witness and talked to him. And he, if I remember right, I believe he said it checked out as pretty legitimate. Um, so there is that. But other than that, I can't think of any other locations specifically around zoos or wildlife you know, parks. Oh, you know, I do, I do know of another one down in Southern Mendocino County in California here. They, uh, these fam- this family has a, they, they're like a big animal, exotic animal rescue ranch. And they're not way out in the middle of nowhere. They're just, just west of Highway 101, like a mile or two. And, you know, it's, it's like suburbs rural, like, you know, like 20-acre parcels, 5-acre parcels, 40-acre parcels, that kind of mixed thing. And, I mean, they definitely have neighbors. I mean, not right on top of them. Behind their house, it's, it's, it goes empty for quite, a, you know, miles but they were having stuff there, but there was more they were getting, they had old food, they'd throw it out the back. And um, they were, they were, I think they were, they were there for the discarded food, not so much just because there were animals there, but they would get excited when they heard uh, some of the animals they had and they were keeping there, they'd vocalize and they said that, I'm not sure exactly what they meant by excited, but the Sasquatch would get excited. Hmm. Yeah, what does that mean for a Sasquatch to get excited? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. You know, that is one of the commonalities. It's not consistent across the board, but one of the themes, I guess, of a lot of these people who have Sasquatches on or near their property on a regular basis, uh, long-term witnesses, in other words, um, they tend to have a lot of animals. And maybe not exotic animals, uh, but remember, the um, was it was his name Wiley Coyote in Texas? You spent a couple of days with him, right? Yeah, Wiley, they had um, game birds down there. Like yeah, tons of them. game birds. They had a skunk, a pet skunk. Um, it just a lot of animals oh, bull, in cages. And, yeah, dog, tons bunch of stuff. Of dogs. That seems to be kind of one of the themes, I guess, of people who tend to have Bigfoots around more often than others is that they have a ton of animals on their property. Not necessarily, like I said, exotic animals per se, but you know, a lot of farm animals. And we're talking, you know, fifty, you know, fifty chickens and dogs and horses and cows and goats and you know whatever else. So And even better is having a bunch of broken down vehicles and old washers and dryers and old boats and large debris items all around, discarded automobiles, that sort of thing. They love that kind of stuff too. Easy to hide amongst maybe. Yep. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Well, the next one is from Kenneth Hollis. Where do you send suspected Bigfoot hair samples for analysis? If you use more than one place, do you know of a location in Texas? Well, I keep them at the museum for microscopic analysis. We have a hair analysis microscope here at the North American Bigfoot Center, and we routinely put put uh, hair samples underneath. And but we did look at yours, and yours look pretty good, by the way. I want to look at it again and send you some pictures. But um, that, those that you sent, I believe they look pretty good to me. Um, yeah, they're legit. Yeah, but as far as DNA stuff out of it, I mean that's a whole lab thing. And um, I, I've just heard recently that it's it's become pretty easy, I guess, to get DNA out of hair if, if there's DNA material there. But one of the morphological characteristics of Sasquatch hair is that it has a fragmentary or largely missing medulla, which is the center, center shaft of the hair. That's like the pencil lead going down the middle of a pencil. And that's where all the DNA material would be in a hair. But Sasquatches um, seem to lack that or have fragmentary medullas. But you know, so do redheaded humans as well. So it's not unheard of, of course. Um, 
for that that characteristic in a hair, it's just kind of like, oh, well, doesn't that figure? That's Murphy's Law once again, that the only place you can get DNA out of these hairs is the place that seems to be missing in Sasquatch hairs. So I wonder if, if uh, ginger squatches are reviled like ginger humans are. <laughs> reviled? It's a pretty strong word. It's a pretty offensive condition. You're, you're going you're going with it, huh? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the gingers. I think you're just uh, hearkening back to the South Park episode, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Ralph Molesworth. Question. If you or any of the other Bigfoot shows had captured a live Bigfoot, found a body, or discovered irrefutable, indisputable proof, wouldn't you announce it to the world at once? I can't imagine sitting on that news until a particular episode airs. Or would there be some sort of NDA with the network production company? Well, we'd, we'd let... We'd let it be known we had something, but we wouldn't let it out till the episode came out, of course. We'd, we couldn't keep our mouths shut if we got footage. Our friends would all know that a war would spread like wildfire. We wouldn't have aired it until the show ran, though. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the episode surrounding it would certainly – because that, that belongs to Discovery. Um, that would yeah. certainly be uh, – Discovery Networks, which, of course, owns Animal Planet, which is what we were on. Um, they would have the rights to all that sort of stuff, and they would want it out. But, you know, they would hype it up so much. Um, everybody would know we had something. And then, of course, we would blab about it, and other people would blab about it for us on our behalf. And the word would spread like crazy. Yeah, If there's anything – if we got anything real, any TV show, I think, would do this. If you if you would got something absolutely phenomenal that would put that would end all this we have a dead bigfoot we have we found a roadkill we you know something like that yeah absolutely it would be absolutely huge um i think that they would um, well it would be me it'd be utterly meaningless until us uh except for ratings and all that nonsense but like truly meaningless until a scientist did something with it you know, um, dissected it uh, uh, and documented it properly, published it in a journal, and all that other stuff. But, um, but yeah, if there's any, if if we had anything real, any TV show would, of course, want their show associated with one of the biggest anthropological discoveries ever, let alone in a century, but ever. Um, they would absolutely uh, make a very large announcement, and I don't, I don't think they'd keep it under wraps. I think that. Um, they would show they would show the, the the episode, of course, but they would tell everybody, yeah, we got it, we got it done, um, and you you got to watch this show to to check it out for yourself because it's fantastic. And then the scientists, of course, that had that we would have been working with would come out and say the same thing. I, I believe at least they wouldn't save it for an episode, but they would definitely save the episode because everybody would watch it. Yeah, you know, uh, I think that's the secret there. We always get that question, like. You guys, they wouldn't let you find one because the show would be over if you found it. I was, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If we found it, it'd make our show the number one show in the world and we'd have an endless run of episodes. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the conspiracy-minded stuff that, yeah, it's like, ah, absolutely not. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, people, yeah, if, people if would if tune we, out if we actually had one, right. They'd tune in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They found it last week. I'm done. Yeah. Now, now let's, let's, go find, let's go watch Finding Chupacabras now. Right. <laughs> No, that's that's ridiculous. I, I think that they, I think that um, it, if our show or really any show had anything absolutely fantastic and substantive, that they would announce it and then have everybody watch the show. Otherwise, like we've got a secret, we're not going to tell you till then. What good does that do? Unless it's really not that big of a deal, you know. If it's a really big deal and it's going to be a paradigm shifting anthropological, um, anthropological uh, discovery in some sort of way, well, they're going to tell people what it is. So people can watch that because that's what people want to see. They're not. It's not like a commercial break where you know. Did you hear that? Then after the commercial break, coyotes. You know, it's not going to be one of those things. It's going to be huge, and I think they're going to they're going to bear all because at that point it's beyond ratings. At that point, it's again paradigm shifting anthropological. You know, earthquake. Dude, the company people tune in over and over and over to watch documentaries that have the PG film. Like you know, there's a one minute clip. It's like like MoneyMaker always said like. How popular would Shark Week be if there was a 60-second video of a Bigfoot from 1967 and then just other things where you couldn't tell what it was? You know, oh, oh uh, 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 a one-minute shot of a shark, you mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Imagine there's only one piece of really good footage of a shark. It's from the 60s. <laughs> shark Week would, would be lame. Yeah. But it's would not. Be, yeah. All right. Is this Rolo? No, Rob Collins. You're not wearing your glasses again, are you? No, they're just smudged up. I got to clean them. They're so smudged up. I can't see through them hardly. Okay. 
And I got my screen on real dim because I don't want to burn out the battery. Well, thank you for that. Message, do you think there are Sasquatches in Mexico, Central America, or even South America? Easy. Yes, 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 yes. Yep, all three, yes. Um, Absolutely. And I, we've told a story on here before. Uh, doing the uh, festival in Franklin, Kentucky. Uh, God, Wild the, Man Days. Wild Man Days, yeah. There's uh, Two years in a row, we talked to this Mexican gentleman from down uh, south. Where was he from? Chiapas? Or? I thought he was uh, Michoacan. Or Jalisco. I think it was Jalisco. Yeah. It's wherever the second biggest pyramid in Mexico is. It was on the trail up the path up to the second largest Mexican pyramid. They saw this thing. They, they followed it for four, 600 yards off trail, and it went into a cave. And they followed it to the cave, and they, they said it was, you know, human size, like six foot, 200-something pounds, um, all black, covered in hair, head to toe, kind of a primitive, they said, like a caveman crossed with a monkey or gorilla. Yeah, one guy I talked to, uh, um, you know, uh, near as I can figure, I mean, I, I speak okay Spanish at best, um, but I have a hard time understanding it because obviously native speakers speak very quickly. And then there's, you know, dialects and, the, you know, people from Argentina speak different than southern Mexico and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I can usually say what I want to say, but I have a hard time understanding. But what I, what I remember – from this one gentleman I spoke to down there in the jungles, he, when he was 17, he and his friends came across one and they chased it. And um, and I tried to get the facial description, but he says, I, I never saw the face. It just it turned around and ran. It was covered in hair. It was way faster than any of us. And we were like in top shape, 17, 18 years old at the time. We couldn't even get close to the thing. And he was very blown away by it. Um, there are historical newspaper reports. I've seen one or two, not that many, um, from northern Mexico, like in the Rockies and uh, yep. that general area. Um, yep. So, yeah, in Mexico, check that box. Yes, they are absolutely in Mexico. And, in fact, I'll go one step further. I suspect that um, the legend of the, the, the crying woman, La, La Llorana, is that right? La Llorana? Um, La Llorona, that's it, La Llorona. Yep. Um, she, you know, she is supposedly this ghost that haunts the riverbeds that um, her children, I think, were killed in a flood, if I remember right. And she is a ghost that wanders these places in the middle of the night and howls in anguish and mourning, trying to find her children who are dead. La Llorona, um, the crying woman is what that's called. And then I think that's probably a Bigfoot. Uh, I think that if you go back, there might have been some sort of truth to that, like these long, wailing, mournful howls coming from the riverbeds at, in the middle of the night. Because how? I mean, Bobo, you've you've certainly heard people describe Bigfoot howls as mournful before, right? Oh, I've 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 described some some of the ones I've heard like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the if like the Colonel of La Llorona is um is a Bigfoot, and of course we looked for Sasquatches in South America. And we spoke to witnesses and stuff down there. So they're down there too. What I, but um, I, the, the, what I always say is when you get below the jungle, like the deserts of Mexico and you get, you know, that real break in wildlife between North America and South America, from there on down, everyone referred to them just like in Asia as animals. Whereas every tribe north of the deserts of Mexico referred to them as a wild man, people. Yeah, and I think there's a very good reason for that. When we're in Brazil, um, the, the native people we were working with down there in Brazil, when they described their sightings, they said, yeah, it was a monkey walking on two legs, but it didn't have a tail. Um, yeah. And it's because they have monkeys there and they have something to compare them to. Where here in North America, the indigenous people here said, oh, they're like a wild Indian living out in the mountains. They're like a wild person. Um, it's because there are no animals to compare them to here. That could well explain it. You're right. Yeah, that's, that's the way I think, you know, because, I mean, I, I, I'm, I think everybody who's listening clearly knows I'm not in the camp that these things are human. Um, there are Sasquatches. That's different than human. Um, but there's not a whole lot else that has the general, you know, shape of them around. So, of course, the people who are living here are going to compare them to themselves, especially when, and I don't want to speak for indigenous people, of course, but uh, it seems to me I that will. a lot of the indigenous people um, see themselves as just part of the in natural environment also. Um, so why wouldn't they just compare Sasquatches to people? But, but down could, in South America, could, that's not the case. But you could compare them to bears. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I think that would be fair. I think that, but better to humans because especially a shape. skin, especially a skin bear. Yeah, yeah. 
But in South America, they do have monkeys and they recognize that Sasquatches look very much like monkeys without tails that walk on two legs. uh, That Naked and Afraid show where that contestant had him around his uh, shack he'd built, whatever his little lean-to thing up there in Belize. And then when I was in Nicaragua, I looked around down there and checked, you know, asked around, went up in the mountains and uh, asked around up there. And what they told me was up until the 70s, they had them all the time up there in the mountains. Like, and Nicaragua is all basically all mountains. And he said, uh, well, not he, but they said once the war came, they all got, they got, they, they got killed or they got the ones that weren't killed left because they'd step on landmines and get caught in mortar fire, artillery fire, uh, bombings, uh, you know, but they said landmines. They said they lost a lot of domestic animals and tons of wildlife to landmines. And they said, I remember talking to these one guys that said they found two different blown up bodies. I forget what they called them, but basically Bigfoots. They found, they're not, they weren't huge ones though down there. They were like, you know, five to six and a half. The biggest ones are maybe seven foot tall from the descriptions I got. Well, that would make sense with Bergman's rule that animals within a species uh, get larger the further away from the equator they are. Well, basically, in, in colder temperatures is what, it, what that means. So we would expect tropical Sasquatches to uh, be smaller. And I think that was the case in Brazil as well when we were there. Oh, yeah. yeah. The biggest one we heard about, I think, down there was eight foot. And that was coming from a guy that was like five feet tall. Yeah, it might have been a little bit off there. And of course, you know, Belize has uh, the legends of the duende. El duende like, right. means the dwarf or little person, I guess, in that case. Duende. Um, and uh, Ken Gerhard went to go look around for those things when he was down there for a little while. He did track down some, uh, some good stories, but no evidence, I don't think, if I remember correctly. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. This next question is from John Urban. How would you explain the wide range of reports and descriptions of Bigfoot faces? That's a good question. There seems to be more variation than amongst humans, though. Eh, I don't think so. I think that uh, it's it's, – you know, there's a wonderful composite poster of ape faces – and they they bring in uh, mostly chimpanzees, a lot of gorillas, and orangutans. Um, and when you look at that picture, you say, "Oh my gosh, they don't all look the same at all. They're all very, very different from one another." And I think that that's just the thing with primates in general, like greater apes, at least you know, humans and um, chimps and, and our family, basically. Um, since we have a very low birth rate and, a, and, and a, we're a long-lived species, um, that's kind of the formula for a wide genetic diversity. You know, white, you know, mice, for example, have, have, you know, eight or 10 babies at a time and they don't live very long. And that's why they all kind of look more or less the same. Um, but when you have something like us, low birth rate, long lived species or Sasquatches or any of the apes, um, you're going to have a lot of diversity in, in, in their genes. And I think that it's as simple as that. But there you go. So, yeah, uh, check out that poster if you can. If you do like a, a poster, you do, do a Google search or something for a poster of ape faces. It's really astounding. Very, very individualistic. All every single one of them. It's a very impressive poster and really cool. Well, it gets me is when people describe like kind of a, a somewhat of a not a snout but a protrusion, like a protruding mouth. Like, oh yeah, that's a tough word for me. Prognostation or something. Prog- yeah. Prognathism. Progn- prognathism. I think is what it is. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've read it. Yeah. Prognathism isn't – yeah, that's always been a hard word for me. But um, uh, yeah, so – and Sasquatches generally don't have that. There's, there might be a little. Of course, you also get that a little bit in humans sometimes too. Not very much, but a little bit. And depending on how they're holding their head at the time, whether we're talking about the Sasquatches or the people, it might seem a little bit more exaggerated. Yeah, so I think it's as simple as that. You know, a wide range of reports of Sasquatch's faces should be expected – in fact, if they were all the same, I would I would have concerns about the authenticity. Well, there's, well, the big difference too is that well, then you get the ones like where they have that flat kind of I guess they call it a caped kind of flared, flatter nose, squished nose, whatever. Then other people report like a big protruding like Roman nose. You know, I haven't like, heard the Roman nose stuff. Most of mine are just kind of flat on the not 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 like open nostril like a gorilla because um, they don't have they, they don't live in the tropics and that's why gorilla noses are like that. But um, but I haven't heard like a big Roman nose as you say. I can't remember any that don't. Well, have Well, that, that's nose. rare, but it's definitely 
I mean, I'd say at least 5%. I hear that maybe 10%. Hmm. Well, again, uh, it should be expected. Uh, again, a wide variety, right? A wide variety of uh, yeah. facial features and skin colors and, um, and, uh, and textures and hair places where hair are, where hair is and hair is not on the face. Um, yeah, all that sort of stuff should be more or less like the humans, basically, you know, like whatever right. we expect for humans or any other rape species. Yeah. So. Let's see. Patrick J. asks, have Cliff or Bobo ever heard of or experienced a Sasquatch while engaging in intimate activities? Follow-up, has there ever been reports of Sasquatch being attracted to those partaking in said nocturnal enjoyment? I know this is a question that may or may not make it to the air, but it's one I've never heard asked, so I'm genuinely curious. And yes, it can work. I've tried it many times. I don't know if it's worked for me or not. I think they're already there. You're probably distracted uh, at the time. But there was a, a couple we interviewed. I'm not going to say where it was, Southwest. And they, off air, told us, what they were doing and the girl was super embarrassed and she was like blushing and she said, yeah, she goes, I was a little vocal that night and they, they came right up and scared the crap out of them. Hmm. I've seen her. I, I think I do remember that actually. Other people, other people claim that they, they uh, use it to affect, but I don't know if it's, uh, Oh, you know, there's a really well-known researcher that we've actually had on here that said it worked for him. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah, we, I guess we have heard some stories like that. I can think of uh, another guy up in the Redwood area trying that a few times, but it's back east. I remember some, somebody else telling me that. But at, at the same time, you know, th these are Bigfooters we're talking about. Maybe they're just bragging that they got laid. Right. I kept mine hush hush. I got to give Patrick J a shout out. That was a very classily, how do you say, well-constructed, crafted, a classy way to put that question. Yeah, you're clearly clearly a sophisticated person, Patrick. Yeah, for uh, asking in 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 the way because you, you asked something that would that's we could we could be crazy about you know just the, and and take that question to many many extremes. But the way you did it was very mature and uh, very well presented. So thank you, Patrick, for that. I love that attracted to uh, attracted to those partaking in said nocturnal enjoyment. Well, you know, I mean, what, what sexier activity is there than Bigfooting anyway? That's what I always try to tell the chicks. Right. All right. Well, next question then. Scott Peterson asks, do you ever share your best tips with other researchers or do you keep them to yourself? There's not a lot of tips to give, but yeah, we, everyone, uh, I think everyone shares what they know. Mostly. You should at least, yeah. At least with a small circle of people, but like tips, like what, I mean, go to the woods. That's the best tip there is. You know, if you want to yeah. get fancier than that, go to the woods for another reason and then pay attention. Yeah, it's say, like pay what, attention. Uh, yeah, it's like what Jonathan Summerlin was telling us a few weeks ago. Just go camping. That's how his grandfather did it. You know, we're, not, we're always saying, you know, go fishing, go mushroom hunting, do go hiking, go camping with your family or friends, do something else. So that's the best tip there is. But I'll tell you what I don't share with the public um, are locations, if I can help it. Yeah. It's the same sort of way I wouldn't tell if I had this amazing fishing hole that I would always pull some sort of, you know, this great fish out of. Um, I probably wouldn't tell people about that either. Well, people that are well equipped that have the the uh, means, the equipment to capture the evidence, uh, whether audio or video, like if they're if they're well equipped, I'll, I'll tell them my spots. But mm -hmm. I, I hate it when you tell someone they go out there and they're like. Yeah, I was doing knocks and howls, and I couldn't believe it, dude. The things roared back and tore down a tree and stomped around the camp, and it's like they didn't even have they didn't have a cell phone on them. Yeah, I've become much more careful about uh, sharing my locations as well because uh, the BFRO almost ran a, a, a public expedition at one of my spots a handful of years ago, but um, because somebody thought it was a good idea to tell them, like, "Oh, go here," you know, and. Um, and and luckily, someone overheard where they're going, and one of my inner circle people, and they say, "Isn't that Cliff Spot?" And they go, "Oh my god!" And then and the organizers, I knew the organizers, and they called, and um, and I said, "Yeah, that's my spot. Could you mind not going there, please?" Um, and they and they were kind enough to do it because this spot's it's really special. It's the Blueberry Bog, actually. They almost went to the Blueberry Bog, but uh, there's been no reports out of there, and the only way they would have figured it out is by someone told them about it so i don't know but it was it was a close call there so i try to keep my spots a little closer to the chest nowadays oh uh, yeah because yeah, i just don't and it, it, it wasn't anybody's fault of course i mean 
um, this person thought they were doing somebody else's solid, but um, turns out that it didn't do me a solid at all. But luckily, it all worked out. So the blueberry yeah, blog is still rather untouched. I learned my lesson about 20 years ago on that. So I've kept it closer to the vest since then for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your your your, uh, your honey hole there was uh, kind of overrun. Yeah. And it still Pisses is. Me off. And do, do you find, well, looking back, you know, 20 years ago, was it better then than it is now? Oh, God, yeah. You think so? Okay. People did not respect my authority. No, very few do, Bobes. All right, next question then. Tyler Hilgar wants to know, do you think Bigfoots in Alaska are more aggressive than other than in the lower 48? No. I don't, well, maybe. It's hard to say. I don't, I don't – I mean, there's a lot of hype because of the TV shows. I, I think that's all blown – that's blown out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that would be the case at all. And I don't know why it would be. If anything, it would be the opposite because there's so so little human pressure upon them. Well, when we were up there, we did talk uh, – were you there when we talked to the native cops that – had the uh, within within that two weeks had two children kidnapped by Sasquatches, but they recovered both of them. No, no, that might have been when I was in Fairbanks and you and Matt were out on the coast. Yeah, because Matt Matt was there. No, no, we were in Fairbanks when we heard that, or we were on our way to Fairbanks. No, we were in Fairbanks when we heard that because they were at the same hotel we were at. These Alaska um, Native officers, there was two of them there, and they were saying in the town of North Pole, Alaska. Like a little like three year old boy got snatched up, and the thing waded across the lake, and everyone was charging around the lake to cut him off. And the Bigfoot got across the lake before them; it, it still dropped the kid off, and then ran off in the in the brush. And there was another kid snagged at a on a river village, also north of Fairbanks, where the kid got picked up and ran for a while. And the the Bigfoot dropped it because everyone was running after it, screaming and yelling and. Guys are grabbing their guns and whatnot. Do you I think, think that could have been the same Bigfoot in like the same general area? No, it was like it was pretty far apart, like a couple hundred miles. Mm, okay, but they they were like dead serious. And they were like, yeah, they, they and they they thought they that people disappeared once in a while. And, and um, I've looked into that Port Chatham story a lot over the years, and have talked to people. When we were up there. I, I talked to a lot of people about it. And Robert Alley knows Doctor Robert Alley, who we're going to have on the show. He can go into probably some more, but. I think that was real. But do you think they're more aggressive up there? Or just we hear, hear heard about these aggressive stories? Um, I guess when you look at the percentage, there's three right there off the top of our head. I can't think of probably more than five in the lower 48. So I guess maybe they, maybe they are. I don't know. I yeah, don't know. I'd say saying, more data I needed. I don't think like significantly more so, but I think it could be more so. I mean, uh, that when we were shooting the pilot when we had to refilm all that stuff, when Renee and I were walking down there, with the crew and the thing came up behind us and we knew they were around at this point and it took two rocks together and just smashed them together behind us. And it just, it was so loud. It was louder than any gunshot I've ever heard. And it was 30 feet behind us. And that's when Renee bruised my arm. She squeezed it so tight. She shoved me out of the way and Ryder, the producer that she's on all the, that Ryder, the, the blonde girl. Aaron Ryder. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Ryder. She screamed and she pushed me out. Like she almost knocked me down. It's like she just threw me out of the way, like to get away because she was behind me because it came up behind us. And the cameraman dropped the camera and jumped for you know just dropped it and ran you know ten fifteen feet. Everyone was like, everyone was like cussing and what the hell you know all freaked out and and that that was pretty aggressive dude to come behind you that close and smash two rocks there that just shattered the rocks was that was pretty gnarly. Yeah, big show. It was a big show, you know, like uh, for, uh, on their part. But is that aggression or is that just like, I'm going to scare the hell out of these people? Uh, could have been playful for all we know. I mean, it was definitely ballsy. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, don't know. Next question from Pat Honeyshaker. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I never that heard name, that one before. <laughs> that name's no more real than Matt Moneymaker. But Pat, <laughs> Pat Honeyshaker. Um, any tips on how to attract female Bigfoots? Well, Bubba, you have a lot of experience in that. Go squatching with a good-looking Bigfoot male. There you go. There you go. Possibly playing human baby crying sounds might attract females more readily. It's just a guess. I, I don't. I don't know of anything in particular that would attract a female Bigfoot. I'm sure there's something. You know. You know when when they're studied. You know when science has all this funding and spend a couple decades researching. I'm sure we'll have an answer to that. Yeah, the only uh, female Bigfoot I know that absolutely was there, I guess you, 
two dudes dress up as cowboys and go out there. Maybe that'll do it, you know? Work for Roger and Bob. Um, you know, but at the same when you when you said the baby crying thing, that did come into my head, but you know what else came into my head immediately after was what if that attracted a big male trying to kill the offspring of a rival, which is entirely possible. We don't know they do that, but we also don't know they don't. I think if they did, we'd know about it more. I think, I, think the natives, I think the natives would have an idea about that, and I've never heard that ever even suggested. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, yeah, I suppose we might have heard that from uh, some indigenous people over the years. But you Interesting. Know, but, yeah, I, I would try the baby crying thing because uh, it works sometimes for some Bigfoots. I mean, Derek Randalls has that amazing story of when he was playing a baby crying out in the woods in the Blue Mountains, and yeah. something with 16-inch footprints came up to him. Um, yeah, we got to get him on the show too and have him yeah. tell us that story. That's a great story. But, okay. okay. Bob, you get the last question, it looks like. This question comes from Dominic Moore-Smith. Hi, guys. Love the podcast. Thank you. In the North Carolina episode of Finding Bigfoot, Matt thinks he sees a Bigfoot and goes after it. Do you now think it was a Bigfoot or someone else? Take it, Cliff. Well, I, th- I think it was a Bigfoot. Um, just the con, I mean, it, it was, it was either a, I mean, you saw it too, Bob's. I mean, it was either a human or a Sasquatch. I think it was a um, Bigfoot. That, yeah, that's undoubtable. There, there is no other explanation besides human or Sasquatch. Oh no, yeah, yeah, because we all saw it through the thermal imager, and I'm inclined to think it was a Sasquatch because um, it that, froze. Well, yeah, it froze on one foot. Like Matt was yelling at it, he yelled, "I think identify yourself" or something <laughs> like that at it. And when he, and this is after it started walking, it was literally standing on the opposite hillside, about seventy yards away or so, just watching, watching the circus, which was us trying to. Find our, you know, find our ass with both hands, basically, because we were. Um, it was the first night investigation of the regular show ever, besides the pilot. We didn't know what we were doing yet, and we were just kind of fumbling around in the dark. And we were on break, and the production was mad at us for not playing ball, so to speak. And we were mad at them for thus for them asking us to play ball and hype things up that weren't Bigfoots. And 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 then Matt's going, "There's something on the hill," and because he's he saw this dude. What he thought was a dude, and he probably still does think it's a dude, standing there um, watching us, like a mile and a half, two miles off trail, two o'clock in the morning, just standing there watching us. And then eventually Matt yells at it a few more times. It starts walking. He yells one more time at it. The thing stops in mid-stride, standing on one foot in mid-stride for a few seconds at least. I, I hadn't, yeah. I did not see this thing yet, but um, a few seconds – and um, then it starts walking again, and that's when I see it. And what I saw was not moving like any person I've ever seen. Um, the arms were moving kind of like a like, – like you know how you swim yourself through yeah. the shallow end of a pool? Like you're walking, but you use your arms to kind of swim your way through it as, as you're walking. It was kind of doing that, and then from the waist down, it looked like it was riding a bicycle. Like the, the legs were moving in a circular fashion. It didn't move like – the PG subject at all. I've never seen anything move quite like it. And then Matt chases the thing off and it quickly outdistances him, even though it wasn't using a light. Um, and it was two in the morning, navigated a wooded hillside. Matt Dude, had just night imagine vision if we got the if we got thermal footage the first night out. Yeah, yeah, it would be, be pretty amazing. Oh, and then we got vocalizations off that hill 45 minutes later. Yep, I mean you heard that grunt. Growl, yeah, there. sort of thing, right? Well, then, I, then I heard, then I stayed out there. Remember, I stayed out there in that the dummy tent. The we had a tent set up just to try to lure one in. We were going to leave recorders around. I slept under that. I didn't even sleep. It was so freaking cold. I was, I got it, was, it, it rained. Was February. It was really cold. Yeah, it dropped. Well, it dropped to twenty two degrees that night because it, it rained when it was like 35, 36, and it then it cleared up and it dropped down to twenty two. And I was just wearing all Carhartt and I was soaked through and through. And that's just you know cotton. So I was. Pretty freaking freezing my butt off. Cotton kills, man. Yeah. You know, the next week we were in Georgia, and we spoke to a woman who saw one cross the road on Thanksgiving. And as it crossed the road, and her car kind of screeched to a halt, or at least stopped in front of it, um, it froze in position as well on one leg. Yeah. But, you know, when, when we were talking to her, and she says that it stopped on one leg and froze like that, Moneymaker, who was who – was, positive that what we saw was not a Sasquatch. He thinks it was somebody spying on us um, uh, at two in the morning or whatever. And, and well, he was kind of right. maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it was, yeah, kind of right. Yeah, maybe it was, it was but um, 
yeah, Matt turns to me and goes, oh my God, Cliff, maybe that, maybe what we saw was a Sasquatch last week. I said, yeah, you think? Don't chase it off the hill next time. That's but whatever, moneymaker, whatever. Moneymaker on eight Red Bulls. Well, yeah. And of course, you know, in the episode, just so everybody knows, um, the, when, when they kind of put that circle around the thing going off, off the, that's not the, that's not the possible Sasquatch that we might've seen. That's moneymaker. It's just, you know, kind of misleading edits, unfortunately, because TV should not be believed unless you have a very compelling reason to believe it, in my opinion. So. Another thing I'll say is that it wasn't much bigger than you guys though, when you went up there in comparison yeah, I never saw that. I mean, I, I, I mean, that was back in the day when we didn't know better yet. And we thought that we were going to get access to some of this stuff and be able to analyze it ourselves. Right. And I quickly realized like, oh, yeah, all this film footage disappears into the archives of the production company and we never get to see it again. So that's when I started doing all my documentation and taking pictures and recreation right. things and taking notes and stuff. So that, luckily that I still been, have most That might have been the biggest Murphy's Law, Squatcher's Law moment of the whole show is because – when it did clear up after it rained and start drop below freezing in the 20s, that's when all the connectors started getting ice crystals in there where the moisture was and making the, the video feeds you know get corrupted and, and audio feeds, anything going through those barrel connectors. And they were just cleaning out moneymakers, getting the ice out. And if you would have held still for literally less than five more seconds, we would have filmed the whole thing. Because wow. this wasn't well, even recording when he took off. Just a missed opportunity, you know. Yeah, we were on break. None of this stuff was up and recording at the time. So it's unfortunate. Ah. I remember Hamill came up and started my stuff again before I took off after it, but I never saw it again. I tried right. to flank the thing because um, it was headed to the right and uh, down like the, the finger of the mountain, so to speak. So I I tried to flank it to the right, and I never saw the thing again. I couldn't figure out where that thing went. You guys were so much slower than it, and it wasn't running. It was just, just it walking fast was so much faster than you guys running after it. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't run after it. I ran at the base of the hill. The thing kind of went over the ledge, uh, over the top of the hill and down into the next little draw there. And I tried to get around it and so to look up the draw, but I never saw the thing, man. Yeah, crazy stuff, man. Oh, that just got me all frustrated again. <laughs> Breathe deeply, Bobo. It's over. It's over. <sighs> yeah, speaking of it being over, I think that's the, that was the last question for our Q&A as well. Cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. That was fun. Some really good questions and some some things we've never heard before asked. So you have, you have anything uh, going you'd like to share, anything that you're interested in or uh, that you get to do in the next month that you're excited about? I'm down here for at least another month still down in Southern Cal, so that's kind of hellish. But when yeah. I get done, I'm going to go up and finish the uh, Southern Oregon documentary, and then that shouldn't be too long. And then I'm working on the uh, Bigfoot and Big Sur doc get that working on that again i'm just so like stuck down here you know it's it's real aggravating it's going to be uh this uh high fuel prices is going to be a challenge getting around just go squatching this summer you know or spring another good reason to find a place close to your house and go there often yeah you know another uh, regular piece of advice we give out Um, you don't have to drive seven hours to get to a spot go to a place that's an hour away I can't believe the amount of people that, that come to Bluff Creek, like that's like their spot to go. They drive by 50 great spots. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially if they're coming in the 299 or something. Think of all right. the Bigfoots hidden away in those little valleys and stuff. And yeah. all you have to do is stop at, a, stop at the right one and see if somebody's home. But Bluff yeah. Creek's like the historical thing, you know? Oh, no, that's cool. I mean, it's cool to go there, but I mean, to go there year after year after year and drive, you know, it's like, it's like, like that's their main spot. It's just, I mean, that's just an example. I know people that do that all over the place. Like they go to like the big name spots and like, they're just driving by and they'll drive four five, six, seven hours. And they do it a couple times a year. And I'm like, dude, you'd get a whole extra day each way. So you'd have an extra two days out and probably better spots too. A lot of these potential spots would probably be more productive than Bluff Creek is, you know, because Bluff Creek yeah, goes I- dead for years at a time. Oh yeah, yeah, and then I think the Bigfoots there are pretty savvy now. That's all, all the Bigfooters' tricks. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't think you're you should expect knocks or callbacks at this point from Bluff Creek. You know, it's just kind of a dead zone. But I'll say this: Salt Fork State Park in Ohio, that place is overrun with Bigfooters, and it still produces over and over year after year. But not a lot of evidence, just a lot of stories. And, you know, when that many enthusiastic Bigfooters are going out, you got to wonder what percentage of those just fall away under scrutiny. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be a naysayer. I don't want to be a renaysayer here. But, you know, I mean, 
you got to consider that when all those enthusiastic people are tromping through the woods thinking they hear things, some of them are not. I'm just off what I heard too. Yeah, I don't know them. When's the last time somebody cast a print out of there? We saw some that were cast over like what? That was probably three or four years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and that's well, I mean, they're, they're that's certainly in tracking, there. and that's that's that that's the kind of, that place has the ground that and and they it's not like the West where it dries up all summer and you just got rock hard subsurface like that place rains throughout the whole summer and they, so they got great uh, the soils appropriate and they got the moisture to keep making it soft to, to get more tracks so you'd think there'd be a lot more. Yeah, well, it's one of those things that there's so many people there. Maybe the Bigfoots have learned where they – I mean, they certainly know where the people are, and they probably just keep to other parts, you know. Well, I'll be up there at the end of the month. If anybody else is around, I'll be up there at the end of the month for the Ohio Bigfoot Conference again. Um, Moneymaker will be there. Renee will be there. Excuse me? What? Jeff Thomas isn't going to make it. Well, yeah, I just I thought about not going, but um, but uh, I decided since I you know already signed a contract and I'm speaking, I should probably continue going. Yeah. Is Yams going this year? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. I haven't talked to Yams in a little while, but I need to give yeah, him a call. But um, Moneymaker will be there. Renee oh. will be there. I'll be there. And Dr. Meldrum will be there. And I understand there may even be another speaker that has yet to be announced, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, and there's rumors I'm going to be there and I'm not. Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. Straight from the Bobes' mouth. With that, Bobes, why don't you uh, – Take us home, so to speak, and I'll go pee off my porch, and you can make some noises in the <laughs> woods to, to draw Bigfoots in, since you're all taking right. us home and all. Yeah. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in and listening. We really appreciate it. And remember, hit the like, hit the share buttons, let people know about us. We really appreciate that. And until next week, y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 